G'day and welcome to Runners Radio. I am your host, Rick Mirabella. And joining me today is Australia's leading tendon expert. He is the king of all things lower limb tendon. He's the associate professor here at Monash University and one of the great intellectual minds in the injury rehab game. Listeners, I welcome Dr. Peter Maliaris. Thank you very much, Rick. Thanks for having me. I think that's a, a very generous uh, introduction. Please don't be modest. Uh, coaches like myself have known Peter for a long time, indirectly. It's the first time we've come face to face. Lots of emails and phone calls over the journey, but lots of, I guess, my strength and conditioning programming and, and hopefully lots of other endurance coaches setups have got a lot to thank Peter for. So I'm just, I'm very honoured to be in his presence today. I've come down to his office here at um, Monash University where he is, heads up the research team here. So this man has forgotten more than we all know about tendons. So it's going to be a really cool deep dive into the lower limb tendons. But the first thing runners think of with tendon is, is injury. So we'll get on that later. But first things first, mate, just give us a little uh, quick summary on yourself and just over the last, I guess, 20, 30 years, just how you've got to be here and why tendons? Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I, uh, I the first thing to say is um, I'm very fortunate to have worked with very good people throughout my career. So there's been so many people that I've learned so much from. So this, so, so really the, the, what I know is really uh, I have to thank them for. And it's, uh, you know, people like my supervisors going back when I was doing my PhD. Um, I started that in 2001 until 2006. And that really got me interested in this area. And then since then, I've just been lucky to, to uh, work here at Monash for the last three years and really reignite the, my research career. I did a stint overseas in London where I worked in a research facility there. But really, I've been a physio for 20 years and I guess have been interested in tendons for the last 15 of those years and working in clinic, seeing tendons, but also now just focusing on just uh, tendon research for the last three years. But I'm, I'm very, privileged to be able to come here uh, and just uh, try and do research that's going to help people with tendon injuries, which is the focus. You're certainly at the forefront of the research, which um, that, that, that's a gift in itself. And I know you are, you, you're always willing to heap pros on other people, but the gift is to be able to have the diligence and the, I guess the intellect to, to take that and actually extrapolate that data. And how do we put that in everyday life, which I believe is one of your major strengths, um, making very complicated stuff at times sound very simple and that's that's a sign of true intelligence why could also be that i don't understand it fully myself oh don't be <laughs> facetious Pete. that'll get you know i heard a really good quote from you one day it might have been about your wife about the laptop tell me what the something about the 15 years or something since your phd or something what was that quote oh, like look, something about um you haven't put your laptop down or something for 15 years it's um that's uh, that's absolutely true i can't uh, <laughs> so it's it's um so what's happened is, I, since the PhD, so, so my PhD was a great experience, but it was also uh, difficult because you sort of, you get into this mode of just uh, studying the whole time. And um, I think something happened to me towards the last year or two years of my PhD. And since then, it's just the switch has been on and I'm just, you know, super motivated to do the research and I really love it. And everything else, not everything else has suffered, but I guess, um, you know, my wife will tell stories about, right, you know, you, you spend more time with the laptop, which is completely true. <laughs> so I'll be on the laptop quite a bit, probably more than what I need to be. 
And I keep saying, saying to her, look, I'm just getting to the point where I'm just going to make it all sort of, you know, run itself. It hasn't happened yet. No, it's a tough balance. <laughs> yeah. uh, high, high achievers as a rule in this kind of field or any field in general mm. do struggle to find the off switch, especially with a young family. Mm. Very quickly, and then we'll get into the, the meat and potatoes. You're, mm. you're a, you love your endurance stuff, you're cycling, you're running as well. Mm. Um, what mm. was your, your major background, I guess, if you were to say what was your favourite kind of discipline? Mm. Um, I would say running has been for the last sort of 10, 15 years. And I think that's been in parallel to the research because it just is such a good stress reliever for me. Research is, the difficult thing with research, it is uh, quite, it's competitive and there's always stuff on, you're always writing grants, you're always doing things and um, it's so good to be able to run and just completely just uh, switch off from everything. So it has been good. Um, one of the not so good things is I've actually had a gluteal tendon problem myself, which I've been working at. Um, and it's good because you understand how hard it is to actually get these things better and also how hard it is to do your exercise, you know, because I, I know what to do, but often I don't do it. Uh, but now I go to the gym uh, at our clinic and I do that once a week. Even though I'm in the clinic working, the only time I actually have to do that is on a Sunday, so I'll go in with the kids. It's unbelievable. And I wanted to touch on that. I had a, I had a rough idea. I didn't know about the injury, so that's really good. Mm. Because you're, I know that you're so into your um, looking after yourself, which is, is paramount, because so many people in your field would very quickly let that go, mm. unfortunately. Mm. Or some of them, mm. each to their own, would mm. never have been into it in the first place. Mm. So the fact mm. you still... Mm. And that's how hard it is for people like yourself and or anyone in this field really to be able to mm. put that own time aside for themselves, mm. which is hard. Mm. That mm. that was a nice little tangent onto, mm. I guess you, you brought up strength training, which is such a massive part of your philosophy. But mm. I wanted to go back a little bit and just mm. people that are uh, like in their 30s and 40s and 50s have ran their whole lives, have would have heard of so many terms, so mm. many confusing terms. And like I said, over the last decade, Pete's made it very easy for all of us to really um, understand what's going on. So I wanted to say the old tendonitis, tendinopathy, these things like tendinopathy is something we hear daily. Um, and we obviously work with we work with um, a really good rehab team uh, at our setup at HQ, as well as people like Pete uh, remotely. Tendinopathy is the current day term. What happened to the word tendonitis that we all used to hear in the 90s? And I feel like um, mm. I feel like we've gone right away from that. And can you just explain to the listeners who might have been diagnosed with Achilles tendonitis in mm. the uh, in the mm. 90s? Why we've gone away from that? So tendonitis uh, sort of infers that you've got some sort of inflammatory problem in the tendon. And what we know now is that um, uh, it's not as simple as that. So it's not just you've got this tendon that's inflamed. Um, it's, a tendinopathy is a better term because it's, it's, a not, it's not a very descriptive term. So it's, it basically means any pain or pathology related to the tendon. So it could really be anything. And that's a much better term because we're not making assumptions about, yes, it is inflamed. Now, if you do make assumptions that, yes, it's inflamed, then the runner is going to think, right, I've got to rest this, I've got to uh, do anti-inflammatories and those types of things, which may not necessarily be the right thing to do for all people. Uh, so that's why it's much better to have a term that doesn't uh, give us any assumptions about, right, this is the treatment we need to do. 
so I think uh, tendinopathy is a better term. That's not to say there's no, and this is the big uh, debate uh, currently in, in tendinopathy. Um, there are so many schools of thought, there's so many people that basically just argue about lots of things in tendinopathy <laughs> research. Uh, I was part of a consensus group, which was really cool actually, at the end of last year at a conference where all experts from around the world got together and we talked about stuff and um, it's just so much, and like there is in every field, but there's so much debate about many things. Where was that, mate? That was in Groningen, uh, uh, which, um, uh, which is in Holland. How many and, experts in the one room? And I can tell you, I wasn't pronouncing it like that before I got there <laughs> and, and worked out how to say it. There was probably 15, 20 of us in there. It wow. was really a great experience. It was really good. That's cool. So uh, basically, one of the things we discussed a lot was inflammation and the fact that uh, people, you know, there still is most likely uh, inflammation within the tendon. So there is some, uh, but it might happen at certain stages. But certainly we know that uh, treatments like anti-inflammatories and rest are not going to be what you need to do for a long period of time anyway. And I love that. And we'll get, I reckon we'll take that um, further later because I do love that. Quickly for the listeners, hmm. they're going to ask this, pathology, what does that even mean? So if the physio says yeah. pathology, so what does hmm. that even mean? Just a simple way for the guys. So usually if you've got pathology, usually the uh, what they're talking about is there's something that has been seen on imaging. Um, and generally it will be, so the tendon, as you load a tendon, a tendon is very, it's, it's very much a load uh, responsive tissue. So if you load it, it will generally get better and stronger. Uh, but for some people, if they load it too much, it starts to become pathological. So it starts to become weaker. Um, and um, uh, what will happen is the tendon will become thicker. Um, there'll be more uh, water within the tendon, so ground substance. Um, you can even get some breakdown in the collagen. So the collagen is the actual strong stuff within the tendon that resists load. Um, so you can start to get these changes happening. Um, and at a certain point, those changes are irreversible. So they won't come back to normal. Now, this is, this is one thing that is, again, debated. This is another debate that we had. Um, so when is it irreversible and um, is that a problem? Because uh, a lot of runners will think, you know, I've got this pathology now, it's never going to get better. Uh, but we know that their pain and their symptoms can improve, you know, and it's, uh, it's not a problem to have that little bit of pathology there. Uh, so, so really, pathology, I think the most important thing with pathology is to put it into context. And the context is, um, yes, uh, there is pathology that maybe you'll have and you'll have a thick Achilles tendon. But that doesn't mean you can't do the things you want to do and you can't get completely better uh, with you know, the right type of rehab. So, so that's a really important message for people. That's so super. And that's why what Pete's done over the last decade is changing athletes' lives everywhere and coaches' lives like myself who, look, I'm, not, I'm the first to put my hand up and say I'm not um, the biomechanical expert over the last 15 years, but it didn't start out being my passion. But over the last 15 years of working with athletes daily, thousands tens of thousands implore imploring peter's work helps those thousands of athletes stay on the track and that's all we want we every human organism is different but in this setting we can usually get them right mm. and people yeah. that feel like um because there is that reading they might read in runner's world or something tendons once you've got genuine pathology or genuine issues you're never going to repair it mm. oh that's me done that's mm. absolute rubbish and that's why 
you can run PBs five, ten years post this kind of quote unquote um, irreparable pathology. A- absolutely agree. Mm. Couldn't agree more. So this yeah. is the stuff that Pete has mm. done, and this is why mm. he is doing these seventy-hour weeks on three mm. computers. I can see in front of me. <laughs> he's just. Um, can, he's, I, can I just make a point on that, just oh, briefly? Yeah. It's because it's a really good point, Rick, and I think uh, uh, most people come to see me and they have this problem that they've had for so many years and they're weak and they haven't done any of the right rehab and when they finish their rehab they're actually better than what they were before and that's why they run the pbs even though they've got the pathology because they've done the rehab so So that's a really great thing to see as people get better that's a great if you can take one thing out of that like this um fella sitting across the road from me is he's a genius but if you can take one thing out of that like literally pocket that little bit up because you literally can you will go in to see someone like peter in a far worse condition than when you leave so you're going to become a more strong robust efficient what do we talk about every day about efficiency okay the ability to run further and faster for longer we talk about the big four so often vo2 max lactate threshold running economy people like peter are gurus at and obviously psychological resilience is the fourth but but i think i think it's also an opportunity to work in together with uh you know people that do the strength because i i mean i i people come to see me at the clinic um i see them once maybe see them twice maybe see them a handful of times if they're a bit worse off but i generally get them you know most of the patients i get them into a gym and and just get them to do strength training so it's not really i i can't i don't know if i can take credit for that but i i'll get them i'll, I'll get them started with stuff and and generally if they can do some good stuff in the gym they'll get better yeah i think a lot of your work and what you've researched over the years though and it's not like people are more, a lot more aware they'll be doing a lot more stuff. And if they're not mm. aware, then they'll soon be aware when they're out mm. of action for three or four months. Mm. And even if they've never mm. heard of any of this stuff before, mm. they'll do some reading yeah. because it's out there now. Um, yeah. And people like me and hopefully others, mm. coaches mm. are pushing mm. towards that. You did touch, I like some of your stuff that you've said over the years about imaging not always being effective. Mm. I think we've touched on a little bit, but you can quickly touch on mm. that again. Mm. Imaging tendons, people will go for an mm. ultrasound or whatever. Mm. Mm. not always yeah it's not always going to give you the answers you want no no look people look human nature dictates that people want to know what is happening so people want to have an image and a scan i can completely understand that if i've got a problem i think you know i i myself think what's going on you know and everyone does it doesn't matter how much training you've had and you you always want to know but uh, we know that for some things it's really not going to change the treatment or you know the management that you do so you can you can have an image of an Achilles and it doesn't t- tell you much at all unless you've got a you know there, there are there are certain people that have actual tears so these are people that really would have gone on to rupture but it hasn't been quite enough force and they've got a massive tear there those people you know they need imaging because they will have different treatment but uh, for most people it really doesn't change what you're doing um i uh yeah so i think it really comes down to education and telling people look it's not going to it's not going to change what we do having said that i image everyone in the clinic where i work it's it's because i uh i've got access to a machine it's uh, not because it's absolutely necessary um but what i've learned from that over the years is that people really get a lot of reassurance if you can image them um, and you can say to them, hey, your tendon is not that bad. Um, so I image a lot of people and say, look, you know, you know what? You know, the radiologist said, yes, there was maybe some partial splits or whatever they, terminology they use. Uh, but actually, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't look that bad. It's a strong tendon. And some people just get, you know, completely reassured by that. 
Um, so that's 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 another uh, nice use of imaging as well. It's a great psychological mm. factor you can use mm. in there. And as soon mm. as we know that we're that they get away from that mm. old method of rest, mm. you don't have to rest mm. this tendon. Tendons need load. Mm. Uh, they can say, oh, well, uh, that can't mm. be. That's a mm. that's an image right in front of mm. me that they've told me. And mm. so, oh, that's a great psychological mm. barrier to break yeah. through. Absolutely. Mm. We've just said tendons need load. Let's mm. let's go through a very typical. Now mm. I know we say some isolation stuff, some isometric mm. stuff, and mm. when you get into that isometric stuff, I mm. want you to really go deep because I feel like mm. that's where you have been fantastic mm. in an era of mm. big compound movements, which mm. are of course are crucial for athletes, mm. big global mm. movements. Mm. Um, but the isometric stuff, you you haven't thrown the baby out of the bathwater, which I mm. love. Mm. Let's take me through a normal transition from an Achilles tendon patient who might have been showing yeah. symptoms for six months, mm. and this can be as in-depth as mm. you like. You go mm. for it. Mm. So basically, uh, I, I, it's good to hear talking about that, the isolation, because um, a lot of people will uh, not... Um, a lot of, a lot of, And I think physios and sports trainers have got into this habit of thinking everything has to be functional and everything has to be you know, compound and relate to function. Um, but when you've got a when you've got a problem like a tendinopathy, uh, it uh, does cause local issues to the muscle tendon unit. So then you need to address those with something specific sometimes. So uh, there is definitely a place for some, uh, you know, you could call it isolated or you know load to the local system. Um, and uh, generally, what we would do uh, with something like that is um, build them up. So. Example of an Achilles patient would be um, looking at very basic uh, progressive exercise like uh, very, very basic seated calf raise and standing calf raise, and that would be uh, what they would get as part of their uh, rehab. Um, but I think the entry point and where you start that person uh, would depend on um, really what they can do based on pain initially so if they can do so isometrics are useful and there's evidence to suggest that they are useful these days uh, but they may not be necessary for everyone it depends on their entry point where they start at so if they if they so if you've got a runner so if you're you're, you're you've got an achilles problem and you're finding that uh, doing a calf raise uh, is difficult then you can um, uh, go back a step and think about doing isometrics. And really the most important thing that I do is um, I load them up um, a lot. So I, I tend to really get them uh, loaded up, uh, whether it's isometrics or whether it's isotonics, I think that the most important thing is to really load them progressively and just keep them, keep them, uh, keep them progressively loaded. So really it, com it comes down to basic strength uh, principles comes down to basic strength principles of just progressive loading. Um, and then uh, that can be isometric or it can be isotonic, but you just need to make it progressive. Uh, you you want to progress towards isotonic at some point. You definitely want to progress to isotonic. Uh, and then the last thing that we would bring in is some hopping or some jumping or some you know plyometric work, because uh, that really is necessary for the running population as well. That's and I, I love what Pete's done there. The absolutely when you're on that third stage, you can know with apart from the fact you're tolerating so much load by then, you know for a fact that you're ready to go. You've you can do single leg hops for distance mm. or single leg hops for reps or sit mm. down to single leg box jump, whatever it may be. That 
that um, is allocated to you from your uh, clinician, you it builds that psychology, but mm. definitely that tendon mm. tolerance, physical. And this is why you, when we spoke about before, you're going to be a much better runner. Mm. You, you can't possibly not be. So when you get back mm. to running, building your mm. miles back up, 20, 30, 40, 60K a week, mm. but you've got this in your training regime now, mm. Mm. Um, I feel like mm. so that is just unbelievable. People, you mentioned the word functional. That's just, a, in my mm. in my word, a bit of a fad because mm. people use it, use it to sell memberships or whatever mm. because mm. what is functional to the athlete? Mm. If the athlete can't run, mm. it's not functional. Mm. So you're, mm. what, you're, what you're doing in that... Mm let's mm. say seated calf raise is mm. a functional movement to get mm. back because i think functional is very subjective mm. anyway but, mm. so i don't like it when people use mm. that word because it i feel like people want to just do like we are mm. big on big global movements but yeah. you need a bit of yeah. both yeah absolutely. I, I i absolutely agree i think um doing something that is isolated and that is targeting what their deficits are is is really really important to start with so for example uh patel tendon uh, we would do, you know, things like leg extension because that is targeting, you know, there's nothing that's going to load the muscle tendon unit of the quads as well as uh, leg extension. So that's, that's sort of where we start. Uh, same thing with an Achilles. We would start with a seated calf raise that's really, you know, targeting that area well. So I think I think there's a real big place for doing stuff that is... Um, that is going to target that area with a lot of load because tendons are very load resp responsive so if you load them up they will uh, generally do well um, and that's the trick with that is that it does involve some gym equipment so you do need to get into a smith machine or you do need to get into a leg extension machine and um, you know the amount of times that we've had people coming back and saying look there's no leg extension machine they don't, they don't have one here or there's no uh, there's no um, uh, Smith machine here um, then you've got to find other ways and there are other ways of doing it but it's really helpful to get onto that type of you know isolated exercise there, there are other ways if you are desperate and Pete would tell you that there mm. is stuff you can do on different cable machines different leg press mm. machines with car there is the ways to do it but I feel like a lot of people moved away from that when they just went all in on this Mm. again quote unquote functional and believe me mm. our athletes will my athletes will lift 80 percent with barbells and mm. eight, mm. 80 percent of it depends on that let's just pick a generic person out mm. of the lot but they will be doing their heavy, of their their heavy bilateral yeah. hip thrusts their heavy yeah. deadlies bulgarian splits their heavy mm. back squats mm. and their heavy mm. leg press they'll mm. be doing all that mm. for their five rms or six rms or less mm. three rms mm. but you have to include this mm. kind of stuff and even mm. if you're not injured mm. it's just why wouldn't you mm. you have to include this kind mm. of stuff in mm. part of your fortnightly cycle weekly mm. cycle mm. 15 minutes is all you need yeah. and then you can you yeah. can throw this in when you're throwing mm. stuff like the pal off and mm. little stuff the anti-rotational mm. stuff like mm. you are mm. kidding yourself if you're not doing it because mm. if you think you're 100 percent symmetrical you're more than likely not mm. doesn't matter who you are mm. doesn't matter. and that's a, that's a good point because it's important to do single leg so single leg is very very important so one of the things that we find often is that people have done lots of double leg stuff or they haven't done any isolated stuff and they're, they're reasons that people fail rehab a lot of the time you know from from other clinicians that we uh, see people so they might have been doing say for example a hamstring uh, tendon is a good example because uh, people might have been doing um, uh, you know deadlifts or they might have been doing some step ups but they haven't been doing any leg curl that's going to isolate that area um, and they haven't been doing and if they have sometimes they've only been doing a double leg and not single leg so it's important to get that you know isolated load and also to make sure that it 
um, you know, that is single leg as well. So what Pete just said, they can easily not bluff their way through it, but someone might be deadlifting 120, 130 kilos, 140 kilos, and they, they think, how strong am I? And which is fantastic, but mm. there's a lot of compensations that can be going on there. Mm. They start to pick up their mileage. They get a little bit of, is it proximal hamstring tendon mm. or so, anywhere mm. in that, gluteal, mm. gluteal tendon issues. And mm. then we mm. say, hang on, we get them on a single leg stuff and mm. they can only do two reps at 23 kilos. Mm. And we go, well, mm. here's your problem. Mm. So, well, I, I've, uh, my patients, you'd be uh, surprised to hear a lot of my ham, hammy patients, especially the older ones, and you do, I see a lot of females with hamstring tendon problems, uh, they struggle with uh, sometimes four kilos, which is the lowest rung on, on, on my leg curl machine. And some of them can't even lift four kilos. You know, it's really, really terrible strength. And they have, you know, 15 kilos, something like that on the other side. Yeah, and that's mm. – and running is what we always talk about, Pete, is just a continuation mm. of hops and mm. you, you are mm. setting yourself up to fail. And mm. what do we mm. say about performance, listeners, about it's continuity over and over. So we want to have a, a good block of five, ten years of continuity to even get close to our potential. So if we're injury-free, we will get that decade of continuity. If we can't get that continuity, then we're never going to reach what we want to be reaching from a performance perspective and, more importantly, day-to-day emotional mental health productivity mm. these kinds of things we don't want to be too negative but tell me about some of this <laughs> resistance because you said about those ladies that might be in there is resistance i don't mm. think in 2019 it's as mm. it's as mm. hopefully it's not as prevalent but mm. there's certainly some resistance to this i can't believe it mm. but there still is because i've heard it as well so mm. touch on that when you've mm. got patients coming and going and saying well mm. what do i do because i can't my, I, my physio says this well i'll tell you yeah. your physio is wrong yeah look i i think uh the thing that i find the most with uh physios is that they um they tend to be resistant to adding load and adding a lot of load uh, in rehab so um i've had instances where i've been talking with uh, physios and i've been rehabbing say an achilles patient or something like that and, and they would say to me look um uh, I've been up to, you know, I've loaded them. I've been up to say, you know, two or three kilos or something like that, you know, with the calf raise. <laughs> and you just sort of think to yourself, um, that's, and, and you know, what's the barrier there for going heavier? The barrier is they're, they're concerned themselves. They're going to do some damage to the patient. And that's also then um, coming through with the imaging report. So if people have got imaging reports where they're perhaps, um, you know, there's some stuff showing that there's, you know, some, you know, partial tears or whatever is reported, uh, then, you know, more so the physio will be worried about that and, and won't. Uh, so there's, there's fear and avoidance to do heavy loading, both on the part of the patient and on the part of the, you know, the therapist that they see as well. So I think that is definitely something that we could improve and get better at. And it's just education of, of people and trying to make sure that they understand that, you know, loading is okay. And in that context, it's, it's, it's good to load it heavily. The, the studies that you helped us recruit for last year, uh, Rick, one of my pediatricians is looking at answering that question, and that is, uh, is heavier load intervention better than um, a lighter load intervention for people with uh, Achilles tendinopathy? So that, I mean, that, you know, we still don't have the answers to those basic questions. And I think once we do, uh, clinicians will be more reassured that yes they can load it up yeah. you know i understand i understand people's but i feel like the evidence is yes it 
it's just there because mm. the success rates of people mm. and that's all you can judge it on mm. you can only mm. judge it on the stats of people mm. making a, a great yeah. comeback to sport and that's yeah. what i look at yeah um and the best exactly. thing for so you, it's more anecdotal at this co- point yeah correct yeah, yeah it's not yeah. but the yeah. thing about mm. uh you listeners out there that might be starting this progress uh is that it's all subjective your mm. pain tolerance so yeah. it is measured yeah. on your on how mm. you feel so mm. that's mm. that's the easiest thing to measure yeah and hopefully if you've got exactly. someone guiding you then they'll exactly. be able to help you with that as yeah. well and that's a good point because the, the key thing that we uh, progress all the rehab based on is how much pain they have when they're doing the rehab and how they recover after mm. so if they're recovering well so, so like the 48 24 yeah, 48 hours yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so 24 hours uh, and that's fine. They can just keep on loading. That's fantastic. And how how yeah. easy is that to keep mm. a training diary? Mm. How I feel. Mm. We do it anyway. So mm. this is the kind of stuff. And mm. this is why it's not mm. hard. And mm. um, um, I really want Pete to screen this from the from the rafters because it's not hard <laughs> to do this stuff. It really mm. isn't. Like it's, it's well, fifteen minutes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. And it's and it also uh, it also goes into that sort of belief system of the patient thinking. You know what? It's okay to load a bit, yeah. and it's okay to experience a bit of pain. As well. And it, like, yes, that that discomfort, that mm. well, a bit of pain. But mm. we speak about controlling the controllables. This is one injury we can control. Mm. Um, and I feel I feel like frustrated that people are out of sport for so long when mm. it's a very controllable. Mm. It's not. It's mm. not an ACL. Though, you know, mm. that's, it's a different story. But it's it's not like that. We can really work on this mm. stuff. Mm. Um, tell me about mm. like this. We only mm. go lower limb. Mm. Um, because listeners all they would have heard of Achilles tendinopathy, patellofemoral tendon and stuff. Mm. Just give me a rundown of the big four or five, and very quickly, mm. are they the same? So, is a peroneal tendon? Mm. Would that be the same treatment mm. as an Achilles tendon? Mm. Uh, is plantar fasciitis that even falling that, or does it not? <laughs> I know it's just connected. Mm. Did you? Does that falling mm. that, or does that not? Mm. I know that's mm. a wide ranging question. Yeah. Patellofemoral, yeah. proximal hamstring. Is that about it? Gluteal tendon. Mm. So the main ones in the lower limb. So you got uh, hamstring tendinopathy so that's that sort of the sitting bone right at the top you've got um you've got uh, gluteal tendinopathy gluteal tendinopathy tends to be uh more your sort of uh females menopausal females so it tends to be people you know females uh in their sort of 40s and 50s that get that and it's often uh related to uh hip issues as well so they might have uh, some underlying you know hip pathology um uh, and very sore on the outside of the hip. I'll, I'll butt in there. Yep. So what, yep. just spend 30 seconds on mm. some of their progressions because mm. that's, that's going to mm. be very common. Yeah. So, so with uh, gluteal tendons, you really need to establish good strength around the gluteals and good control and activation of the gluteals. Mm. Um, one of the hardest things with gluteal tendon is that there is, there is a compression of the gluteal tendon. So if they're sitting, crossing their legs... If they're uh, running and dropping their pelvis a bit, so things like that can cause compression and can cause some issues there and ongoing pain. Uh, so one of the most important things is to change their activities and their behaviours. So you okay. need to do that. So education is important, uh, but then it's all about gluteal strength. And we start with very basic stuff in non-weight bearing, and then we go. The, the hardest transition for a gluteal patient is getting to standing. So often gluteal patients struggle standing on one leg, and you've got to make that transition with them. Um, and it's just a gradual process but then you've got to just and then it's all about once they can stand on one leg you've got to load them up on one leg leg. and get them strong Um, hamstring is an interesting one because hamstring is really all about running and uh, you know the the faster they run especially if you've got your runners who are doing speed sessions they really need strong hamstrings so uh, they need to um, 
uh, be able to load the hamstring up in something like a leg curl uh, and then to go to something like a deadlift and then uh, a step up. But I you know, always start with um, just the basic leg curl is a good starting point um, and getting them very strong. Um, and then going down to the patella tendon. The patella tendon tends to be uh, mainly jumping athletes, so volleyball, basketball, uh, these types of people. Um, so with them, again, uh, lots of isolated, and, you know, it's the same formula for all of them. Mm. Isolated and then progressively loading into squats and deadlifts and, uh, you know, uh, split squats and things like that, you know. I feel like the patella femoral stuff, mm. if, if mm. It, yeah, that's what we still call it. Well, it what do we call patella, it? Patella, so you've got the patella, patella, patella tendon. tendon. Patella femoral track yeah. is different again. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. So that, that's more the kneecap, yeah. the joint around the that, knee. That very much is a running Yeah, issue. that patella, is. Yeah. Patella tendon yeah. Yeah. stuff is purely those jumping type athletes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. don't often get patella tendon in runners, you don't often get it. So it's mainly the patellofemoral, you're right. And sometimes sometimes they call it runner's knee. Yeah. Patellofemoral Patellofemoral tracking for distance runners. Yeah. Uh, under, yeah. under strength, overworked distance yeah. runners is yeah. one of the more common. Yeah. So don't get that confused. Mm. We're talking about the patella tendon, which is for yeah. you know, those landing yeah. athletes yeah. that aren't landing enough for their hips and that yeah, kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly. And that's why we but teach landing mechanics for junior yeah. athletes yeah. all the time. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's all about... Uh, even with the even with the runner's knees, patellofemoral, it's all about strength around the glutes and around the quads anyway. So you strengthen those up, and generally they get better. It's a very from what I've heard you, mm. it's a very very similar mm. prognosis mm. Um, and, and work mm. rate progression. Yep. Achilles tendinopathy we've spoken at length. Perineal mm. tendon. So perineal tendon is uh, more of a biomechanical one. So it's often related to uh, biomechanics of the foot. So that's one of the things that you might want to get checked out if you've got a perineal problem. So seeing a podiatrist or at least having a running analysis, running assessment is a good idea because it's often foot-related, footwear. Um, there's often a biomechanical component because they're not really tendons that take a lot of force and a lot of load when you're running. Uh, they just control the foot as you run. So Not like the tendon, the yeah, Achilles tendon. Which yeah, is, exactly. Know, what, six, seven yeah. times their body weight sometimes? Yep, yep, yep. Right? Even, even yeah. sometimes more than that, yeah. yep. Yeah. So patel tendon. So the main locomotor tendons in the lower limb are patel tendon and the Achilles tendon. They take lots of load. Um, so they're the ones that really take force. The other ones are more stabilizers or uh, they might do a job in sort of, you know, stabilizing the pelvis as the glutes heals, uh, perineal, stabilizing the foot as you're landing. So uh, they're different and often there's more compression and other things going on with those ones. I could talk to Pete all day. Plantar fasciitis <laughs> is, I know it's not a tendon as yeah. such, but yeah. just let's spend a minute on it. Yeah. So plantar, look, it is it is uh, pretty much considered to be a tendinopathy because it's um, it's having the same type of function as a tendon, i.e. It, it, it absorbs uh, forces and load as you're running. So it is very similar in terms of its function to a tendon. So uh, basically uh, it is very much uh, similar to the Achilles in terms of the rehab that we do with plantar fascia. So basically the same rehab that we do for the Achilles will apply for the plantar fascia because it's continuous. Yeah. Anatomically it's continuous, so it's uh, pretty much the same and the, uh, rehab. And the pain tolerance, everything's the same. It's what yep. you can tolerate, you can yep. do. Yep. So with yep. plantar fasciitis for listeners, I'm sure that you've all, a lot of you would have heard of it, but the, mm. the bottom part of your foot, the ball of your foot, um, it's the fascia there. If you can tolerate mm. a five minute jog, three minute mm. walk times four, mm. you, you can do that. Yeah, stuff like that. that. That's your progression yeah. to running again. Yeah. Stuff, whatever you yeah. can tolerate, you do. Same yeah. as low, whatever. Yeah. So that that keeps it really mm. simple. Mm. And there's not mm. many runners out there that wouldn't have 
mm. at least had one of these symptoms mm. over the last mm. decade. Mm. But we've covered, like in a very short period of time, the big ones that keep people out of sport. Someone like Peter um, spends his life obviously delving into this kind of stuff for us because, let's be honest, the regular person isn't going to go and delve as deep as what you have for so many years, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, what some of the things you take away, um, like from what's what's give me give me one example over the last mm. 10 15 years that you as a as a professor, associate professor, that you've said, Oh, that that that's very very mm. cool. Mm. Like, is there something mm. that's just I'm not to question that notice, <laughs> but mm. all these have mm. been. Mm. Um, look, mm. what, what's some of you go, geez, this is just mm. unbelievable stuff that we find out. Like, mm. um, I know it's so I, I, I tell you, I, t- I tell you what, I like. I'll tell you what I like a lot. I like I like seeing people get better that have um, had issues for a long time. So I really I really I really get a lot of uh, pleasure out of that. So people that have had issues for years. Sometimes I'll get people coming to see me who have had pain for say you know one year or two years or three years, and to be able to follow them through with a rehab program and see them sometimes you see them for a year sometimes for longer you know there's there's a guy i remember one elite tennis player that i saw with a patella tendon problem and i had seen i I saw him in the end for about two two and a half years until he got better and he just continued on with his rehab continued on and eventually you know got back to what he wanted to do but uh stuff like that i think is really rewarding uh to be able to you know reassure someone because i mean it takes a certain type of person to stick to rehab for two years. It's a difficult thing to do. But a lot of the patients that I see, I'm sort of in an advantage because they've sort of tried other things already and they've done things and done the injections. They don't want to do that again, which is, which is you know, a benefit. Um, he was considering surgery uh, and that would have been the, the last resort for him. But, you know, thankfully he got better with his rehab. And, but it did take a long time. So to be able to guide someone for that amount of time is really is really great. And to see him get back to... Really like rewarding. Yeah. And to see yeah. you, like you've changed his life for the better. Because a lot of people... It is about who you know sometimes and, and who you come in contact with. Because a lot of people... He could have gone down that surgery mm. route and that could mm. have been unsuccessful as well mm. because mm. post-surgery mm. would have been doing a lot of mm. stuff that you mm. would have been giving mm. him anyway. And then, yep. and that's yeah. if he... Exactly. It may, it may, it exactly. may not work. Yeah, exactly. So, so you never know in that context, as we were talking about before with the anecdote, you don't know what it was. Mm. Was it the surgery or was it the rehab after? Mm. Exactly. Or the rest he had after the surgery because he needed to. It's, so it's hard. But one of the things I find really frustrating, just to flip that a bit, is when people don't follow through with a rehab so that's that's the you know that's the hardest thing because i mean all i do i'm just a glorified basically just you know exercise i i I just all i do is get people to to load progressively and sometimes i find it embarrassingly simple the stuff i do but i i find it frustrating when people um for any reason and you know humans we're very complex and not everyone's going to do the rehab that you tell them or stick to it for long enough but uh, people get frustrated or they don't quite follow through with the pain advice and they're too worried about pain um, or other reasons come into play and they just don't follow through with the rehab and it does become frustrating when someone uh, does that and then goes down the wrong path like i had one recently um, with an Achilles problem who um, had done okay with his rehab and then um, was trying to get back to sport and um, basically went into soccer training very quickly 
And it was just that transition from, you know, the, the rehab that he'd done to going back to soccer, which you see quite, you know, commonly. So then he just, instead of, you know, and we'd given him the advice, you know, you've got to do it gradually, do it like this, but he sort of rushed it a bit. And then basically um, uh, saw him a year down the track and he had gone through all these injections and found out because he panicked when it, that had happened and didn't come back to us and then went off and had all these injections, came back a year later and said, look, I've done all these injections and I'm still basically, you know, no better if not worse than what I was before. Can't get back to, you know, let's look at, look at this rehab again. So that's, that's frustrating. Um, rehab is, you know, as you know, um, very well. It's difficult because people have to then implement it themselves. It's a psychological thing too, mm. uh, Pete and listeners. Mm. Like if you, we always speak about writing down like long-term macro goals, five years, three years, one year, mm. and then what are we going to do over the next three months and daily to put it into place? This kind of stuff just falls into that. So if we, if we keep it as simple as that and it becomes hardwired, then mm. it will make it'll be like your A session, your B session of the week. You'll just get it done. Mm. Like it's if I'm telling you to go and do seven one k's of three minutes, you'll do that. So what's the difference between doing ten mm. minutes of rehab work? There, there is no difference. So I know it's hard because we look. Everyone's got stuff going on, and there's mm. 168 mm. hours in the week. Feels like mm. it goes like that sometimes, and mm. it gets eaten up really quickly with work, mm. family, business commitments, and and then sport on top of that. But if you want to be the athlete you think you should be, or even if you just want to do something that you enjoy, you need to be doing this stuff. And the thing that um, he, he very modest, Pete, but he simplifies it for us. He's just saying this: it's ten minutes, three, four times a week, but you add load, fifteen minutes. But you can incorporate it into other stuff as well. You don't have to be just being quote unquote rehab. You can do a couple of other movement patterns and then go back and do to the um, specific rehab stuff. So. Is there anything you want to finish on for the future? We'll get Pete on over the next 12 months again, no doubt, because um, I could listen to him talk all day. But for the future, you, for you, mate, your next 12 months with research or travelling or what's going on the next 12 months? Um, a busy year, actually. Busy year. I've got, um, uh, I've got uh, house renovation. <laughs> Jesus. That's I've harder got, than anything, I reckon. I know. I've got... Uh, and then we've got the but the main thing research wise is uh, lots of so I've got a big uh, um, uh, funded study that is starting this year so I've got some research assistants uh, working on that um, uh, I've got um, uh, lots of I mean my main focus is exercise and how exercise can work and how we can optimize the benefit from exercise so there's lots of studies lots of students on that. Um, and that's that is an ongoing thing like in research we talk about 10 years because I mean things are so slow so I reckon um, you start a study you get an answer five years later so you've got to be patient and it's it's good there's little small things that come along that keep you interested but um, I think my main focus at the moment is um, really starting to look at load and uh, try and get more evidence behind dose because I think that's one of the things that we don't do as well as clinicians. How much dose do we provide? And really that sort of, you know, uh, a bit of evidence behind that and is what I'm focused on. That's really good. And and the dose could be with anything, whether it's seconds, reps, whatever. Mm. And the big mm. thing I wanted to touch on, if you are out there and wanting to progress it really quick, you, mm. you just don't. Mm. So always always add load, but like by dosage and, and the, like the mm. frequency. Mm. 
mm. and that kind of stuff. The big thing I think people um, progress too many is to too many hard contacts of plyos too quickly as well. Yeah. We're going yeah. to a rabbit warren and we won't go mm. down that path today, mm. but mm. I think what people do plyometrics for the sake of it sometimes yeah. and maybe they're confusing mm. landing mechanics with conditioning and other yeah. side of it. So the I, I agree with that. Can I just, uh, one yeah. comment on that. The strength, so they need the strength and then they need to bring it on gradually. So often they don't have that sort of strength to be able to do that plyometric mm. stuff and they need to build that first. So it's that stepping stone. Big stepping yeah. stone. So I wanted yeah. to touch on that as a prehab element more, to be honest, because if you're in the rehab progression, you should be pretty much on your way to the right path. But too many people... Um, that want to be they want to be running really fast marathons or they get pulled into this whole hit phase and then they end up doing 100 box jumps for the, for the sake of why and if you're not strong enough to to do that kind of what is it because the, um, the PT told me to do it well, but you've got to be asking why always ask why we're doing things because it's it's backed up by just loads and loads of evidence to make sure we want to if we want to be running that 10 kilometer PB or that marathon PB um, we want to be doing the right number of contacts, not not for just mm. to say we did a hundred. Oh, well, we did a hundred. That's great. Mm. Okay, so mm. this is why we surround ourselves with with intelligent, good people that just want to see, and we want to lift each other up and bring the best out of people, and not just uh, make them tired and sweaty because I think that's just oh, it's a really like why are we doing that? Peter's been fantastic. Any last words, great man? Give it, leave me your last words. Um, I just wanted to say thank you, thank oh, you. Mate. I mean, you're you're you've uh, it's been a pleasure listening to you over the last, uh, you know, yeah. half an hour. And I think you're doing, you know, this is this is good to be spreading this type of um, stuff to runners is good because I think you touched on it before and that is uh, people don't uh, always get connected with, her, with the right, you know, people. And um, it's about trying to spread, uh, I guess, you know, this message to other clinicians as well as other, uh, uh, other athletes and, and people who need advice about tendons so true mate the um the honor has been all mine so i've been a big fan for a long time so i'll stop fanboying now and I'll, <laughs> I'll get off there but we will get peter on over the next 12 months again because he's fantastic and we might get some listener questions to pete and we might get them in and then yeah. we'll come back down to monash in the next six months and yeah and very, you're very welcome thank you very thanks, much mate we've got a few athletes coming down hopefully to mm. pete um over the next few months as well for some research listeners Please do something today that's going to make you better tomorrow. Take care of each other and be kind always. Mm.